Hello there guys, and April Fool's Day. So today is a little special thing. I'm involved in something called the Podcast Switcheroo, which is organized by the all-powerful Moxie Labouche of Your Brain on Facts. And I'll play a promo of hers just in a minute because, you know, she organized this whole thing. You may see across the podmosphere, there's quite a few podcasters that are involved in this sort of thing. Essentially, people get teamed together and they swap podcast feeds for a day. But obviously, as opposed to actually swapping RSS feeds, which would cause a huge amount of problems for everyone. Uh, it's just you swap an episode with someone. So in this year's podcast switcheroo, we've swapped with Southern Discomfort Podcast. Um, they're a true crime podcast and much more. They like drinking, talking true crime, and they speak about stuff in the South of the United States. So, you know, if you like this episode, make sure you go and subscribe to their podcast and whatnot. If you go over to their feed right now, then there's actually a full-length episode that I did from September with Janine Mercer on their podcast feed. So if you haven't listened to that one, go over there and listen to it because then you get the full episode without any cuts in it and you also get to support both our shows. I've included links in the description as always to the Southern Discomfort podcast as well as a few other bits and pieces and things. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this switcheroo. And if you do enjoy it, obviously make sure you tell Moxie Labouche as well because it's her idea. So, without further ado, here we go. Need to satisfy a hungry mind? Every week, Your Brain on Facts brings you science. Why does mint feel cold? History. King Charles II of Spain was so inbred, his family didn't bother educating him. Music. Many hit songs and even entire albums were written for revenge. Technology. The first video game was made on an oscilloscope in 1958. And every other topic under the sun. Look for Your Brain on Facts on your favorite podcast app or at yourbrainonfacts.com. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. In case you're just tuning in, then welcome. We have another story for you tonight. We do. Hey, everybody. It's Christine. Um, before we get started, though, I just want to remind everybody um, to follow us on our socials. Um, on Twitter, we're so disco PC. Instagram, Southern Discomfort PC. And Facebook, Southern Discomfort Podcast. Um, you can email us at Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com and find our podcast on Podbean, Southern Discomfort, um, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And um, we're glad you're here and we've got a good one for you. Uh, what's our um, what's on tap for our drink du jour? We have Snowball Juice, which is an IPA by Urban South. Places where you brew beer. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. And <laughs> so that was the avoidance right. of saying yes, brewery. I, there you go. Thank you. It's a um, hazy, juicy IPA, smooth drinking, hopped up IPA with nearly five pounds per barrel of Idaho Seven, Vic Secret, El Dorado, and Citra. If you know what that means, how is it? It's not bad. It's um, on a scale of one to ten. With me not being an IPA connoisseur, I would give it a 
five. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, and, you know, for our listeners, or, or, or uh, repeat listeners, um, they know that you do tend to try IPAs typically and know that I'm not a fan of them. So I actually have an ale, Urban South Ale. It's part of their pop collection, Tangerine Sour. Um, it's a sour wheat ale aged on loads of tangerine puree. Reminiscent of a fresh mimosa. Um, it brings a refreshing sour ale um, with loads of sweet tangerine, soft acidity, and a pop of effervescence at the end. Grab a porch and grab a pop. Oh, I like that. That's... I love Urban South. Their market, their uh, yeah. branding is just really cool. Um, yeah, so they're out of New Orleans. So if that gives you a hint, we're going to get right into it. Hint, but... hint. Yeah, so back in Louisiana again. So everybody, um, grab your drink, and let's get uncomfortable. Let's do it. So tonight we're talking about Carville. This was the only leper colony in the U.S.? Maybe. Well, I believe Massachusetts, and actually Hawaii. Um, Right. However, I think uh, Hawaii was first, then came... Uh, the Massachusetts and uh, Louisiana um, colony. Uh, but Louisiana definitely is the most notable, yeah. I believe. I mean, um, for reasons we'll get into. Yeah. So leprosy is a biblical disease. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Ten Commandments. Yes. The plague. Um, it, yes. They are over 30 um, passages or, or references to leprosy itself in the Bible. Um, I checked, so just kidding. No, I don't know. There, well, that's what I right, that's, and it's what it's let the the effects or symptoms um, of leprosy are what I think of when I think about the plague. Right. Um, I don't know if that's you know the same thing that others think about, but that's just for me. Right, and then growing up, um, our mother. Uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, and so she would tell us. I just remember her telling us. I don't know what you remember, but stories about the leper colony in uh, Louisiana, and just being terrified as a mm-hmm. young kid. You know, well, so she used to. Go, okay, so Nana would take her on trips uh, up and down the um, river to these antique yeah. shops, and that you'd have to go through. Uh, Carville to get to the antique shop so mom said that as a small kid you know she would be in the car and just hold her breath when they (laughs) drove by just terrified uh, just of what she had heard about the patients or residents um, of Carville so as a result of that when I was a kid we were kids and she would tell stories about when she was a kid I naturally was afraid too so didn't want to go anywhere near um (laughs) anywhere near Carville right right. just I just won't even go like we'll stay away from there some things make sense now which is you know you're you know you'll see as we as we go through that uh it's this stigma that really perpetuated this colony and this uh lifelong isolation absolutely 
So there were increased cases of leprosy in New Orleans, um, and in 1894, five men and two women arrived by mule cart at a New Orleans wharf um, who had leprosy. Um, they put them in pest houses or La Terre Lepro, Leper's Land, that's what they called them. These were leper homes. Um, and then, so this was beginning to come a problem in Cosmo, New Orleans at the time. Uh, the Daily Picayune published an article. This was uh, alerted the public to at least 25 known lepers just loose on the streets in New Orleans. And these pitiful conditions um, known as these pest houses on Hagen Avenue. And so in by 1883, Louisiana uh, passed the Act 85. This was a legislature that appointed Hagen Avenue, uh, the pest house, which was previously a smallpox hospital, as the site of containment for those diagnosed with leprosy in New Orleans. Um, This, as you can imagine, caused public outcry, and everybody was just like, we in New Orleans was, you know, not... Not in my backyard. Nimbyism, for sure. So they, like, cleaned up the pest houses and the streets. Um, This also corresponds with Storyville, and you know you throw can, back yep. to our original episode you can um kind of go back and reference that one to how things were in certain areas of new orleans at that time anyway so all this pressure from the reporters at the time they this um this caused them to to find a new home for the lepers that were just walking the streets as it sound, make it sound like zombies like move them out of sight <laughs> right, so they're yeah. out of mind Right. <laughs> and at this time, they didn't know anything about it. There was no treatment. So they, they just thought that it was highly contagious. Nobody knew what to do with them. So when the New Orleans City Council just did little to act on this, there was a, a dermatologist from Tulane, Dr. Isidore Dyer. And he they took it upon themselves to provide suitable medical care for these um uh, th- these people suffering from leprosy. Um, they did attempt to find another location. So it's like, not in New Orleans, but they didn't want to put it somewhere that was close enough for these doctors to like come and go, basically. So in the twilight of November 1894, seven residents of the Hagen Avenue Pest House, they stepped off of a coal barge. And so... But on the way up the river, they went up the Mississippi River on this coal barge. They were um, instructed to, I guess, the boatman to let out all the rope between the boat and the barge because they thought, you know, that everybody was afraid of this. Right. And um, so, and just to walk it back just a bit. Okay. So we touched on... um, the, the quote, I'm saying this in air quotes, plague. So... And and you mentioned you know not not a lot of is known about the disease itself at this time. It was actually 1873 when I'm not even gonna let's see Gerard Hansen Gerard Hansen a Norwegian uh, physician first discovers the bacteria um, that causes this disease that uh, the symptoms are painful deformity damage to nerves which results in susceptibility to injuries they oftentimes would amputate um, uh, you know 
arms, legs, when necessary to remove the severely damaged parts of the body. Um, but this is why, okay, so because of the pain, the deformity that it caused and the images that that conjures, uh, people were outcast and discriminated against. And like you're saying, people don't even want to get like within arm's reach of you. Right. Because the lore around it too is that these, not only is there amputation, but um, lore is that they'll just, the parts of the body that are so severely damaged just fall off. So you yeah. think, oh God, you know, I'm going to, but act, in actuality, they don't fall off. They're reabsorbed back into the body, which is actually pretty amazing. Um, so just wanted to say that because I didn't mention it earlier. So sorry, carry on. Oh yeah. Um, no, that's fine. So when, so when they stepped off the barge, they were 60 miles up the Mississippi river to an abandoned home of a sugarcane plantation that was called Indian Camp, and this was named for General Camp, who was um, a veteran of the War of 1812. He first owned this land. So, And the centerpiece of this plantation was the main house built in the 1850s. Um, this is the same architect who built the historical Nottoway Plantation in White Castle, Henry Howard. Um, and the mansion on the property was called Woodlawn. So they lived in so so they so what they do is they send them up river because they don't know what to do with them, don't know how to treat them. Um, they're like, we want them not too far away so the doctors can visit. You know, they're certainly not gonna. They did have one doctor that stayed there on the property. Um, who was that was the resident physician, Doctor Wales, but. Um, it's just they just sort of like get them out of here let's just find somewhere here's an abandoned plantation with a home let's put them there so they put them there and it was in deplorable dilapidated conditions um in slave cabins with snakes and vermin um and they basically just left their life and their families and they were just on they were on their own dropped off and yeah just, just like left to their own devices yeah basically like just get out of new orleans so um nurses didn't want to work with them um because people were scared they scared they were going to get this disease um that they didn't know anything about and they certainly didn't want to um have a disfiguring uh disease the nurses didn't want to work there but they so they requested the help from the Daughters of Charity. These were nuns that were already in New Orleans. Um, and the sisters, they agreed to, to come down. And, and it wasn't, um, they weren't scared. They just went. And even one of the newspapers, the bishop, said that they were just doing their job because everybody else was like, oh, they're so brave going yeah. down there. Um, it was heroic. Right. But they were, they just did it. Like, they're just like, you know, this is what, somebody needs to take care of them. And we're going to do this. Um, so leprosy was starting to become a problem in other states as well. And people just started bringing their patients from these other states to this home. Because they, they had found out that they, that, okay, well, Louisiana has put them somewhere. So, well, we, want, we don't want them here. So we're going to you know, bring them there. Let's take them to their place. Right. Which is, I, I know, we have the... the 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 benefit of hindsight it's a dumping ground right but that's exactly what it was um then there was a increasing public outcry 
for the government to do something. And in 1914, a Spanish-American war veteran named John Early, he goes to Washington, D.C. for a press conference and announced to everyone, I have leprosy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everybody was taken aback and they were shocked. But that made it all the real. And he pushed Congress to to establish a place and to um, set up um, funding for the government to actually like handle this um, public health crisis is really what it was. So um, Congress in 1894, they purchased the, the home in Louisiana, which they were calling it a leper home. They purchased it from the state. And then the federal government, um, they took it over in 1921. And then the, all the medical staff, the doctors, the Daughters of Charity, they um, become federal employees at that point. And then the um, leper home became the Marine Hospital Number 66 in Carville. Yeah. And this was even before it was um, named Carville because it was just, like we said, it was called Indian Camp. The plantation itself was called Woodlawn. And then it just had this um, leper home name. But... um they also, in this area, it was called Island. So this area was it was called Island, but there were a lot of places in Louisiana called Island at the time. Avery Island, Pecan Island, Sicily Island. So the mail kept getting mixed up, and the Postal Service in Washington called it, uh, called the post office Carville because the postmaster at the time, his last name was Carville, and then the town became known as Carville, and then James Carville, the political strategist, is from the Carville family, the same name. So every patient in the country diagnosed with leprosy was sent to Carville. And they left their homes, they left their families, they left everything. And some of them were even brought in by chains. Yeah. Like, just they were just forcing them to come to this place. Um, New Orleans was already and still is very religious and very heavily Catholic. And um, they already had the nuns in the city. And with leprosy being a biblical disease, like you said earlier, it was very much um, stigmatized. So to be called a leper was a derogatory term, just negative. And with leprosy, your hands and your face, um, this is something you mentioned earlier, become disfigured. But this is what you use to communicate. You know, people, you, you speak with your mouth and you, you make eye contact. You use your hands as illustrators. None of the staff at Carville ever caught leprosy. That's important to know. 95% of the population is resistant to it. You don't catch it. Um, the stigma far exceeds the risk of uh, the danger of ever even getting it. Yeah, you know, and what's so tragic about the whole thing is that at the time it was not known um, that most people had this natural immunity and would never even like contract the disease. And if they did, it could be easily cured with antibiotics. But the the real tragedy, I think, is that these, you know, they. They're referred to as patients a lot in the um, literature that I researched, but they, they're truly residents. However, they lived this 
life in isolation where they had no rights. They couldn't vote. They had no interaction with, well, they were not supposed to have interaction with the outside world. They couldn't leave. It was basically like they were imprisoned and, and they lived their entire existence cut off from their family, um, their loved ones. And like you were saying, the conditions in the really early years were to, to say that they were substanders is an over overstatement. They were they were worse than that, deplorable. And um, you know where this facility is located? It's in this swamp, mosquito infested, um, you know, place where they're subjected to uh, or they have a uh, susceptibility to other diseases. You know that just compound um, this terrible existence um they even had a jail there was a jail and oftentimes patients were um forced into changing their names to protect their families that lived on the outside so that there wasn't this like discrimination um so you know just wanted to to mention that 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 this was that's the real tragedy i think um especially in the early years yeah, so you mentioned they didn't have a jail um, because, and then people who lived nearby, they would threaten to shoot them if they escaped. So they were treated more like inmates or prisoners yeah. than as a patients. Um, so, and the early doctors and chief researchers and pharmacists were actually the nuns, the daughters of charity. Um, they were the ones with the courage to care for them. They're extremely smart. Um, but let's, uh, but going back to bringing up doctors, and you had mentioned uh, Gerhard. Hansen, he's the one who actually coined the name Hansen's disease because um, leprosy had such a negative connotation, um, and that he identified it. It is a uh, caused by the Macrobacillus leprae, which is a rod-shaped bacteria. Uh, it was the first bacterial human disease identified. Like I said, was it? I did not realize that. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. So. Um, but the nuns, though, they were um, they were super compassionate, and they treated everyone with love. You know, here are these, these people that came to this community who were, who were um, isolated and ostracized, but they had these nuns who were described to as these angels that took care of them. Um, and there were children on the property, too, because a lot of them were diagnosed with leprosy as children and they tried to make their life as um, normal as possible. They would have like birthday parties and music Aww. festivals. They would teach them piano lessons. Um, they they just, um, they tried to make it fun. They had Mardi Gras balls. Um, they even had a, a publication called The Star. Yeah. So Stanley Stein, he was um, blind and disabled, mm-hmm. but he was um, an editor. And he started the star for a dollar a year publication. Um, he just wanted to educate the public about leprosy. Um, he was he was actually responsible for reforming the practices at Carville, and this was to lessen the stigma and to retract reform, which it did. Um, he even arranged for celebrities to come and visit Carville, and um, that actually was very effective and and worked and worked um, well. And that, that also played into um, having helped these these people of this community of Carville live as much of a normal life as they possibly could. So, 
Yeah, and um, so he he wrote stories about uh, how residents even built their well. So as the years progressed, and 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 more knowledge and um, you know scientific advancements in the identification, treatment, et cetera, around the disease. Uh, it got to a point where when people could actually leave if they wanted to, I'm jumping ahead a little, they would they would choose to stay because what happened is, you know, as a result of all of those things you were talking about, you know, building as normal of a life as possible, you know, people that were once sick, afraid, isolated, and lonely forged family and friendships and community despite being treated like lepers. Some of them even built houses and he would, Stein would write about uh, them gardening and making and selling crafts and at these uh, festivals and they would even... um, received donation donated costumes from Mardi Gras crews from New Orleans and Baton Rouge and they would have their own floats uh, modified to fit down the small streets of Carville so that is really you know I guess the beauty in the tragedy yeah make the best of what's around so um you had mentioned that they they've given up all rights and they basically live like inmates and prisoners um even in spite of all this um and at time there was a time when they couldn't vote um the men couldn't even visit in the, the ladies in their rooms right. they were talking about a, a, adults here and um they didn't have a phone all the mail was sterilized they had they put it in basically this autoclave they burned it essentially um so they were treated as though at that time those like they committed a crime but they there wasn't any cr- a crime that they committed they just contracted this their crime was disease being sick. right um they didn't want the couples to marry although they did because if they did have kids they um they couldn't stay there they had to they would send them to saint elizabeth's orphanage okay i'm glad that you brought that up because when i was reading through this you know i it, it what I saw just said they were not allowed to have children, and if it, it did happen, that the children were taken away. But I never could find to where. Where yeah. okay, so what does that mean? What what happened? So yeah. is that an orphanage that cared for children of lepers only? Oh, that I don't know. Um, that's Saint Elizabeth. Because you're introducing this communicable disease i just it didn't really make sense to me why you would take them away right well they didn't they just didn't want anybody to get it you know yeah contract it and they thought oh well the last thing we want to do is propagate this disease throughout society but um the but you know conditions did get better as we'll go through there was even there was a family at least probably more than one but one that i did see that um they had two kids. They had a son and a daughter, and they were um, they were adopted out to or fostered out to a local family who were already had like seven kids themselves, and so they would bring the kids to the property. And it was sad because they would come up to the fence, oh. but but this family made all like took all just everything they could do was to let these kids know these are your parents because it was the mom and dad that lived there. And so, yeah, because they met there and then had kids there. 
Um, but oh, my heart. Yeah, but it turned out good. Um, they they were able to have a, a normal life because um, there was a a hole in the fence. And so um, it was actually an area, there was a chain link fence, and it kind of went down over a culvert, but it just didn't, it's the way the ground kind of opened up for it. And um, there was a director there that knew about the hole in the fence. And that was sometimes when they escaped, they would go to this jail. Like we talked about, they'd send them to jail. But at this point, the director actually enlarged the the hole. He kind of looked the other way because he let them come and go. These are adults. You know, they would. So they um, they said they would escape through the hole and they would go to LSU football games. What? But yeah, that's that was the highlight. Um of their day they would get someone would walk a mile to the local red rooster, red rooster <laughs> and have some drinks um they would fish on the lake there was a Aww. lake there yeah so um but then eventually they were able to get a pass and but they weren't allowed to use public transportation they had to fumigate their clothes and here's a thought this was pretty interesting when they did go to another state to travel they had to actually get permission from each state that they had to travel through well that sounds like you're on probation or parole right absolutely yeah absolutely um and they were you know at least early on treated like institutional patients they were experimented on yep there was a hot box treat. Um, this was described as like an iron lung. But the thought behind this was that the bacterium multiplies in the cooler parts of your body. So there was some science behind it, I guess. Um, they described it as the fever machine. They would get in naked and just like their whole body would be heated up. I hope they didn't do that in the heat of summer. They probably did. They probably did it all the time. But at this point, they were like, I, you've got to try. Let's throw everything at it, you know. Let's just try to um, try to do this. So there was a major hornbuckle. And he, um, he, so he was fine, but his wife contracted leprosy. So she was sent to Carville. Ugh. And they told her when she arrived, they're like, you'll never see your husband again. And she said she just laughed because they're like, they don't know my husband. He moved there. Oh, wow. He left his life and he moved there and lived with her. Never contracted leprosy. FYI. So, um, so they, like, there were medical advancements to stop leprosy because that's where, um, the attention was and the focus. Um, Dr. Faget in the 1940s, he was the medical officer in charge. Um, they were using promine to treat tuberculosis, which is a very similar bacillus. This was used in rat leprosy, very similar to human leprosy, not the same, but very similar. Um, they used this intravenously on a group of patients. It actually, actually reversed the effects the deformities that yeah. they had in their face. It was amazing. Like, this was called the miracle at Carville. Is that the sulf... What'd you call it? It's pro- Promine. Is that the sulfon whatever? They they use that, too. Okay. And then before that, I didn't mention, but I guess we could, the car, they, car, they used the carmugula oil. Oh. And that was um, injected, and it was also, I think, orally, but it was very painful and... Um, and not very effective, but it was interesting because they were just so desperate to try anything that they would do this. But these shots, um, they would take them every day. Ooh. And they were extremely discomforting and just very painful. 
But um, then they started testing them every month and they started testing negative. And then once some, a patient tested negative for 12 months, they could leave. Yeah. They could absolutely leave. And then I was so... They just had to take their documentation with them, didn't they, that, that they were cleared for 12 months? I didn't see that, but I'm, I mean, that would make sense. Um, but they were told that if they ever wanted to come back later on in life, that they absolutely could, you know. And then some left, but then some stayed. I mean, that says something that, you know, there was a level of comfort. Right. And familiarity. So some of them actually felt that the government owed it to them to take care of them, too. So that was the other thing. Well, you know, it's like you took us away from our life. And I mean, or they were left there. But either way, they were like, you know, I can kind of see that. Yeah, point. for sure. Sure. All the there are people from all over the um, all the states, all um, other countries were brought their patients to live and be treated at Carville. It was a very diverse community um, from every walk of life. It was like a mini UN. And so they had their own power plant, their own carpentry shop, shop, bakery, water treatment plant, mason, dairy, paint shop, accredited schools, the best teachers. They had more in their community than they had in the surrounding communities. But that's probably because no one wanted to come into their community. Right. So they had to be a self-sustaining community. And they were. And even in the 50s, it looked like a planned community, very progressive. Um, it was an integrated community in the segregated South. And it was actually not at all what people thought it was. Absolutely. They were making strides like faster yeah. and better than anybody and on the outside. Innovation. and For sure. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, happening in little old Carville, right? Louisiana. So, um Eventually, oh, okay, well, I'll tell this first, though. Um, they, I thought this was cute. They, there was a story about they played softball games, and it was a big deal. Like, they would sell peanuts and just, like, you know, all the concessions that you would a regular softball game, but they only had home games because they couldn't <laughs> leave. <laughs> but it was a big deal. Like, the Aww. nuns would be sitting in the stands, and everybody would it. come out for it. Yeah, so. America's pastime. You know? So, there you go. But, um. Eventually, the labs moved to Baton Rouge. Um, they still continue to find a vaccine to this day. Um, they need to find a resistant host, um, something resistant in other animals. Um, and armadillos, they, they are a natural host for the disease. Um, and Louisiana probably has hundreds of thousands of armadillos and then probably the hundreds <laughs> right, of these actually harbor the disease. And they don't know how they transmit it to man. They believe that they do, but they just don't know how. Oh, because I read that man transmitted it to armadillo. Right. Well, it could. it's probably a back and forth. Okay. You Pass know. it between <laughs> species. I mean, they've looked at insects. Um, and it is as vectors, like what's actually going on here. You know, how is it? Yeah. Be? And it is interesting that um, it is and did kind of develop out of didn't kind of, but developed out of this um, community in Carville, de- developed out of New Orleans. It's so close to Tulane, who is has an excellent program for um, the tropical diseases. Like virology? Well, that too, but they, they're they highly specialized in, oh, I'm not a scientist. 
but I'm not. But they, I'm, if you're not, I'm definitely <laughs> not. So. With the tropical diseases, um, bacterial area. So, um, so today it's treated with a cocktail of drugs, um, dapazome, rifampin, and clofazamine. I'm pretty sure I said those right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I probably didn't. So this actually kills the leprosy bacillus. But some pa- patients get allergic to the dead bacteria that's yeah. left in their body. So they use thalidomide. Okay. Which. Interesting. We remember from the, don't remember, but if we can research and look back. In the 50s, this was um, thousands of massive birth defects. and But they use it today in very controlled treatment. And they're very successful with it. So this is actually what kills the well, help, well alleviates the allergy to the dead bacteria in the body. Um, also interesting is that the treatment is like di is like diabetes or diabetics. Um, they've made breakthroughs in this uh, through leprosy because with Han- or Hansen's disease, they can actually save the limbs because they will treat it like um, leprosy. The Carville facility not only studied leprosy, but also the deformities and how to treat and rehabilitate. Yeah. So they've been able to save diabetics, patients, legs, limbs because of They borrowed from the research that was done in Carville. Yeah. You know, that's huge. Yeah. You know what? You're welcome. Right? You're welcome. A, A nice thank you to Louisiana. That would be nice. But anyway... Carville definitely has its place in history from experiments and education and advancements um, and just not giving up. Um, It's a special place. The nuns even said it's a holy place. Like, it's just like none other. And I'm probably going to get emotional here. Yeah, it it does make you feel for sure. They say that they hear singing of, of, um, it sounds like a choir of angels just singing when no one's around and um they they liken that to or they attribute that to the struggles that and the um strides that they have made through this place um yeah so in 1999 the u.s public health service transferred carville back to louisiana um because you know they had made all these advancements and they and just they it ran its course there is uh or at least there was still one daughter of um, charity still there and so and and a handful and I think maybe even like two or three um, patients still living there I'm not sure if that is to this very date as a recording but 500,000 patients pass through um, this area Unbelievable. Um, yeah so today the Louisiana National Guard oversees the Gillis W. Long Center and Louisiana National Guard Corps, and they operate the Louisiana Youth Challenge Program where they reclaim at-risk youth, which I think is absolutely Which is wonderful. another um, just amazing effort to, to support and help people that are in just need of that. Um, and then there's also the National Hansen's Disease Museum that's open to the public. I don't know if it is during COVID, but we'll have to go check it out. Yeah, I would like to. I, I, I think going, I think being so terrified of this place as a child and now knowing what I know, I think it would be really incredible to go and just see it 
or what's left. Yeah, because it's right here. It, it is in our backyard. Really. And we're going to take mother with us. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, so. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we could end this one on a high note. Absolutely. And remember to keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. So if we're doing, if you're doing socials, then I'll just do drink du jour and then yours and then mine. Yeah. Why are we recording? Oh, because it was funnier when, before I hit record. And now it's going to go (laughs) doo-doo. Don't say that. You set people up for failure. Yeah. You're a terrible. <laughs> you're a terrible teacher. A director, come on now. You're our director. The political strategist. Strategist. The political strategist. Strategery. <laughs> Words. Strategists. Yes. James Carville. Oh, I didn't even mean to mess that up. So the political strategist. I know words. I have the best words. Shit. Strategist. The political strategist, James Carville, is, um, um, so with your, the disease is, um. (laughs) Oh, my God. Corona. Oh, yeah, we're just spraying down. It's okay if she sneezes. I mean, spray me. Spray me. So when your hands and your face. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. What did you say? It's a breaking news. You speak with your mouth. Oh. Where do I start now? I would start with. uh, Use your hands and your face. This is what you use to communicate. (laughs) I think it's more you want to say your face is important to express. How you're feeling, you know, you're, you're oh, oh, oh. No. right, right. It's not so Facial much expression. speaking with your mouth. That's true. And your hands communicate. Would you stop with all that uh, being right shit? Okay, you know what? I'm not even going to. We're not that. going there. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off. And wasn't that a load of fun? Thanks to April and Christine for being involved in the podcast switcheroo, and obviously big thanks to Moxie Labouche, as always, for just being awesome and also for organising all of these things. Uh, in the description, I've put details of these episode notes, as well as how you can find Southern Discomfort or Moxie Labouche on social media or the website, all those sorts of things as well. And just in brief, for any of you guys, uh, what's coming up, I will still be releasing a normal episode on the weekend. I'm going to be releasing it probably on Saturday, actually, because it's going to be a 
special episode where I speak to a gentleman named Dominic Pace, who's actually in episodes one and three of The Mandalorian. So it's very exciting to be able to speak to someone like that. It's going to be airing on both this feed and on Comics in Motion under the Star Wars Comics in Canon banner as well. And if that isn't enough for any people who are patrons, there's going to be even more content on there as well. At the moment on Patreon, I'm releasing two episodes of Afterthoughts a week. They are generally between 10 and 20 minutes long. Some of them are like half an hour long, where myself and Megan just talk about a film or a TV series we've watched. We've been doing a Star Wars rewatch. We've done. We've been watching the Captain America trilogy. Uh, we've watched some documentaries. We've watched some chick flick movies. There's quite a wide variety of things that we've been trying to do. And so if you go on to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat, not only will you get access to those you know, additional shows and things, but also whenever I edit things, um, I sometimes pop things on there a couple days early. And whenever I split a conversation in two, then I always put the whole one conversation onto the Patreon feed as well so people don't have to listen to one part wait a week and then listen to the second part you can just listen to the whole conversation unsplit in one go and that's going to be especially helpful because in two weeks time i've got a podcast with uh, scott weatherly of the 20th century geek podcast and we've been doing quite a lot of collaborations recently and we actually chatted the other day for about two and a half hours and we spoke about one thing which was hp lovecraft for about an hour and a half well it's over an hour and a half about an hour and 45 minutes and then we spoke about moon knight for then about another 45 minutes so i'm actually going to be splitting that podcast into three so any patrons will actually get the whole lovecraft conversation when the first part drops and then when the second part of the lovecraft conversation drops to the normal listener a week later they will then get the moon knight episode as well so you know make sure you go check out patreon.com slash genuine chit chat there are currently two afterthought shows on there completely for free right now one of them is the witcher series one which is spoiler free and the other one is star wars the phantom menace and that one's about 20 minutes long as well so you've got about half an hour of completely free content if you just go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat and if you give a two pound a month or three dollars you get access to the patreon feed which will have afterthought those little bonus things as well i occasionally put snippets on there um early and other bits and pieces and obviously the more patrons i get and the more people who get involved the more time i can spend the more shows will get released the more extra content will be on there so i really appreciate anyone who is already supporting me on there it means the world but if anyone wants to support the show even more that would be wonderful because yeah it costs money to keep this podcast going and even with the patreon at the moment it is still costing me money obviously that's not a big problem because i do this as it is a passion of mine and i want to do it but it's just one of those things where i always harp on about it right at the very end i don't want to sound really preachy or anything like that but it just makes a huge amount of difference to me and it means the world whenever i get a new patron as well so thank you guys for listening so much i hope you enjoyed the southern discomfort podcast you know make sure you go check those guys out uh, make sure you check out patreon my other show styles comics and canon moxie labouches your brain on facts lots of great things and you can contact me on social media as always at genuine chits chat and just for clarity as well if you don't want to become a patron supporter that is 100 okay but if you still really want to support the show then spread it either on social media or by word of mouth and tell people to find it find episodes you think they'll like and send it to them it i've heard of quite a few people have been doing that sort of thing and it always means the world to me so i just want to say i appreciate you guys a huge amount and thank you for listening i will be talking to you guys again like properly like a full episode in a few days time so make sure you look out for that anyway guys thanks again